We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. Take your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 19, reading verses 11 through 16. I'm not going to wait for you. You just need to catch up. Now I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse and he who sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven. Now I want you to think about that for just a moment. The armies in heaven. Who are the armies in heaven? I believe that's the host of the redeemed. It's the angels of God. It's every one of us who have named his name as Lord and Savior. One day, folks, we're going to not be on this earth. We're going to be in heaven. And we're not just sitting on a cloud playing a harp. We're a part of a mighty army. The armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. You notice he too is on a white horse. It's interesting that in this life we are to emulate him, and in the life to come, we will emulate him as well. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we are called to follow him. I'm not called to follow man. I'm not called to follow religion. I'm not called to follow doctrine. I'm called to follow Jesus Christ. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And that's interesting as well, because when you read the scripture, it says he has a two-edged sword for sitting out of his mouth. But the armies, they don't have a weapon. But it's described in that verse. They were clothed in white linen. Listen to me. The weapon of the church of God is holiness and righteousness and purity. The way to confront a culture today is by living apart and different from the culture. We need to know and understand that even today we are supposed to be clothed in the white linen, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You should be called out from among them and be separate. Love the way you're shouting now. Followed him on white horses. In verse 15, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. Listen, folks, in eternity, there's only two classes of people. Those that are a part of the army and those that are a part of the judgment. And I don't know about you, but I want to be in that first class. I want to be a part of the army of the Lord. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Father, impress on each one in this room that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Help us to leave this place with the knowledge, the assurance, the confidence that we serve the King. And there is none greater, none that compares to him. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Drive that into our spirits today so that we know we serve a conqueror, a mighty God, King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, when you think about human history, you recognize and understand that throughout the history of humanity, kings have greatly affected mankind. Maybe more than any other office that we know on planet earth. Kings can either bring great blessing or they can make curse upon a people and upon a nation. Kings can elevate people like Mordecai and Joseph and Manasseh and Esther and Daniel without, uh, without any type of uh, a decree other than their word. Kings can also kill 
people without any trial and without any accusation simply by their word. Kings can either uplift a nation or they can even destroy a nation. Kings can uplift people groups or they can, as Pharaoh, try to destroy people groups. I want you to understand this morning that the greatest king who has ever lived is Jesus Christ. And he's not in a grave today, but he's ruling from on high. So many in our society, in the religious world, leave Jesus on a cross. They wear a crucifix around their neck. So many leave him in a manger as a babe. Or they leave him at a door and they forget he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Can I tell you that's a very popular and successful attack of the enemy. Because the enemy wants you to see Jesus as a babe in a manger. He wants you to see Jesus as a dead Savior on a cross. But I have come to tell you, he's not in a manger, he's not on a cross, he's not in a tomb, but he is alive today and ruling from heaven on high, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. John the Revelator in chapter 1 of the book we're reading from this morning said it this way, quoting Jesus in verse 18 of Revelation chapter 1, I am he who was alive and was dead, and now I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and death. Oh, I come to tell you, he is a conquering king. He is a mighty king, and he has already conquered the enemy and doomed him for all of eternity. So this morning when I'm talking about the king, I'm talking about Jesus Christ. When I'm talking about the king, I want us to praise him. I want us to magnify him. I want us to exalt his name. Oh, folks, if for no other reason, you should be excited today because 12 people said we're following the Lord. We're going to be water baptized. We're going to declare he is our king. He is our Lord of lords. He is the savior of all eternity. And he's my savior as well. You see, you need to understand that from the very beginning, Jesus was born to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God had predicted his kingship, his lordship, his authority. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 13, when he said, my son is going to bruise the head of the enemy. He's going to step on him. We need to understand that was a prophetic, uh, a messianic prophecy saying the king is coming. You can also read it in Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 through 12, when Jacob blessed his son. Sons, he also foretold of a coming king who would rule over Israel and the world. Daniel prophesied of this king in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. Isaiah and Jeremiah prophesied of this great king. Isaiah chapter 9 and Jeremiah chapter 23. When you read the story in the book of Matthew, wise men came from the east, and what were they coming to do? They were coming to worship he who is the king of the Jews. That's what got them in trouble. That's what got Jesus in trouble. They came to worship the king of the Jews. And you read the scripture in John chapter 18. When Jesus was before Pilate, falsely accused, going through that sham of a trial, Pilate said to him in verse 3, are you then a king? And Jesus said, well, you said I was a king, but listen to these words. The next sentence, for this purpose was I born and for this cause came I into the world. Listen, he came to be our savior. He came to be our sacrifice, but you need to hear it. It didn't stop at Golgotha. It didn't stop at an empty tomb on a hillside outside of Jerusalem. Today, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that was his destiny. 
from the first moment forward to us today. You can even read it in Acts chapter 17, verse 7. Paul and his company had went to the city of Thessalonica. They began to preach in the synagogue. Many came to him, both Jews and Greeks. And the Bible said that those in the city who were religious got stirred up against them. And so they went to the city leaders and they said, we need to do something about these guys because they serve another king. That's what it says in verse 7 of Acts 17. They don't serve Caesar. They serve another king. And then it says, Jesus is that king. Oh, come on, somebody. You need to understand. We may be citizens of the United States of America, but I've got a greater citizenship. I'm a part of the heavenly kingdom. Jesus is my king. And I'm going to honor him and I'm going to serve him and I'm going to praise him and magnify his name. What does it say in Psalm 48? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the cities of our God, in the mountains of his holiness. Beautiful situations is the Lord our God and Mount Zion is the city of the king. We're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Read it in the scriptures. The disciples in Acts chapter 1 saw him leave the earth And then in Revelation 1, John saw him in the throne room of heaven. We need to understand he was here, he lived, he died, he rose again from the dead, and now he reigns King of kings and Lord of lords. He took a seat at the right hand of the throne of God. He took a seat in power and authority and dominion, having conquered death and hell and the grave and every tool of the enemy. He took his seat as King of kings. And Lord of Lords. You realize a king's power and ability is is measured by those he has conquered. And I've come to tell you, Jesus conquered all. Everything that came at him, he defeated. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me he lived a sinless life. He defeated every temptation of the enemy. And when the devil said, we're going to kill him and shut him up, he allowed himself to give up his life. But three days later, he pulled a fast one and rose again from the dead so that you and I aren't worshiping in a graveyard. We're worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He has defeated every foe. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, the prophet Isaiah wrote it this way. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. That statement has great significance. When you understand history and the culture in that period of time, then you understand that when a king conquered another king and kingdom, he took that king's robe that he had conquered and he sewed it onto the end of his. It became his train. Oh, I want you to hear it. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. What does that say? It says he has conquered every enemy. He has vanquished every foe. No one has stood against him. He's wearing their robes on his train declaring, I am the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, that should excite somebody today, especially if you're going through the stuff. You need to know you serve a King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he is able to defeat every enemy. Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11, the apostle Paul wrote it this way. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, oh, say it with me, at the name of, one more time, at the name of, every knee should bow. Those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the King of Kings 
He is the Lord of Lords. And folks, I'm here to tell you, you can either confess him now or you can confess him later. But I'm here, it's a lot better to confess him now than it is to wait and confess him later. Remember, there's only two types of folks in eternity. Those who are a part of the army of God, who confessed him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who's embraced him as Lord and Savior, and those who have not. I'm going to be a part of the haves today. I'm going to be a part of those who confess him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You've got to come to the place in your faith, in your walk every day, where it doesn't matter who says what, who stands up against you, who makes fun of you, who tries to persecute you. He is my King. He is my Lord. I will not bow. I will not bend. I will not turn. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Listen, there are no closet disciples in the United States of America. Come on, that's a bunch of nonsense. Well, I live my life quietly. I live my faith quietly. I don't read that in the New Testament. Even when they were being persecuted, even when they were being killed and stoned, even when they were being arrested and thrown in jail, even when the rulers of the city came against them, they never stopped saying, He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on, church, get it in your gizzard this morning. It's time to stand up and worship the king. It's time to worship the one who is worthy, to exalt his name, to magnify him, to declare him to be king and king and lord of lords over your life today. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Jesus is given five names in that passage of scripture. He's called faithful. He's called true. He's called the Word of God, and He's called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Oh, I've come to tell you today, He's still faithful. Even when I'm faithless, He's faithful. Even when I don't fulfill what He's asked me to do, He's still faithful. Even when I'm weak and I'm tired and I don't know what to do, He's still faithful. Oh, somebody, take me to the King. Take me to the King, because He is faithful. He will never deny His Word. He will never go against His promise. Oh, somebody needs to get it in their spirit today. He is faithful. And if you'll come to a faithful God, you'll not be disappointed. You'll not feel like you've been sold short. You will not walk away empty-handed because He is faithful. Secondly, it says He's true. Everything that's false in the world has to stand against the truth of Jesus Christ. Well, I come to tell you, it doesn't matter what the school system says. It doesn't matter what society says. There is still absolute truth. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is faithful. He is true. He is the word of God. Oh, I love it. The Old Testament prophetically said, and he sent his word and healed them. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Oh, folks, you need a Word? Come to the King. He's faithful. He's true. And He is the Word of God. You need direction? Come to the King. He's faithful. He's true. He is the Word of God. And then it says He's the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. Oh, we need to know it's not about me. I don't rule my life when I come to Christ. I submit my life to His authority. I surrender my life to his authority. I acknowledge him as the one who knows all and does all things well. I acknowledge him as the one who knows my end from my beginning. He orders and directs my steps. He doesn't allow anything to come on me that he doesn't give me the strength to handle. He is king of kings and he is lord of lords. And he's conquered every enemy. 
As a result, he is faithful to establish his kingdom in the hearts of men. He now rules from a throne of grace and mercy. We can read that in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, and it's talking about Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now you need to understand that in the days when these were written, it wasn't popular to be a Christian. There were enemies and opposing forces, governments and rulers, along with the forces of darkness trying to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. So the writer said, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. What is my confession? He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is my Savior, my healer, my deliverer, my provider. He is the God who is all in all. Let us hold fast our confession. Oh, folks, don't say something different, but hold fast your confession. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And then he goes on to tell us why. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He's been through everything you've been through, and he walked through it victoriously. He's been tempted just like you're tempted, but he overcame it. He has been in the place where everything was against him, but he didn't give in. He was successful and victorious. He's tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And I love verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. I'm telling you, he's ruling from a throne of grace right now, folks. And the Bible says we should boldly come to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Today, he's ruling from that throne of grace. And we have an invitation. Regardless of what our need may be, regardless of what we may be encountering, we can come to him boldly. Oh, we don't have to come all mealy mouth. We don't have to come apologetically. We come through the blood of the risen one and we approach him with great boldness because we are not... We are not orphans. We have been adopted. We are not castaways. We are sons and daughters. We are not those who have been overlooked. We have been chosen by the Most High God. Come to the King and come boldly to the throne of grace, regardless of what you may need. We don't have to come in terror. We don't have to come in fear. But we come boldly because grace has secured that for you and me. So let's look at this king and what did he declare and what does that mean to you and I? In the book of John, you'll find seven statements that Jesus made, all beginning with the two words, I am. That, those two words, now when he made these statements, every Jew listening to him understood it was a claim to divinity. Because I am, if you'll roll your mind back to the book of Exodus, when God called Moses in the desert... And told him, I want you to go and bring my people out of Israel. Moses said to him, God, I'm willing to go, but who do I say has sent me? And what did God say? God said, you tell them, I am has sent you. I am that I am. If you understand scripture, you understand that that is Yahweh. Our term is Jehovah. It means covenant keeping God. Every promise I've made, I'm going to honor over your life. So when Jesus said, I am, he was saying, I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah. I am God Almighty. There is nothing too hard for me. So he said it in John chapter 6, verse 35. I am the bread of life. 
You know the story, the context is that he had just fed 5,000 people from a few loaves and fishes. Then his disciples went across the sea to escape the crowds. And then the crowds found him and he said to them, the only reason you're following me is because I fed you. But if you only understood, I am, I am, I am bread of life. Not the bread of life, I am bread of life. In other words, everything you need to be sustained in this life and the next, it resides in me. All the hope, all the encouragement, all the strength, all the healing, all the provision, everything you need is in the great I am. I am bread of life, he said. And then in John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you'll no longer walk in darkness. I will be the light to you. You can read it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where it says, He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. I am the light of the world. Oh, folks, when I read that, it tells me as a believer, I don't have to be confused. I don't have to be befuddled. I don't have to know what, not know what to do. If I will simply turn to I am, who's the light of the world, he will illuminate my pathway. He will direct my steps. He'll lead me in ways of righteousness. He will allow his will to be accomplished in me because he is the light of the world. Then it says in John chapter 10, I am the door of the sheep. Listen, there's only one way in, and that's through Jesus Christ. He said in John 10, all that have come before me are thieves and robbers. They just come to steal and to kill and to destroy. And you know John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. The thief has come to steal and kill and destroy. He said, I am the door. I am the door. And then he says in John 10, 11 and 14, I'm the good shepherd. He's going to take care of us. I don't have time to develop all these. Just remember them and research them and think about them. Then in John eleven twenty five, he said, I am resurrection and life. His good friend Lazarus was dead. He'd been dead four days. Martha said, if you had only been here a few days earlier, you would have healed him. He'd have been okay. You see, she had a limited understanding of the great I am. She knew I am as healer. She knew Jesus could rebuke sickness and disease. But she didn't know him as the one who raised the dead. She didn't know him as resurrection and life. So he declared at that day in the cemetery, if you believe in me, if you believe in me, I am resurrection and life. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Oh, let me say it one more time. There's only one door to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Oh, folks, don't buy the New Age Molochok. Don't buy this stuff that's going around that there's a million ways to God. I've come to tell you there's one way. His name is Jesus. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He has vanquished every foe, conquered every lie, and he is the way to the Father. There's not a million ways to get there. There is one way. And then in John 15, he says, I'm the true vine. See, what that means to you and me is when we're attached to him, his life flows through us. When we're attached to him, the characteristics of his life are displayed in and through you and me. You need to understand that we are called to be those who reflect Jesus Christ. And it's all because he's given us an invitation to come boldly to the throne of grace. Life flows from him. So today is ruling from a throne of grace and mercy. Hebrews 4.16 says, when we come boldly to that throne of grace, we will obtain mercy. I love that. 
Because it tells me I don't have to merit it. I don't have to be worthy of it. I don't have to earn it. But when I come, he gives mercy to me. Now understand the the meaning of that. It means that I deserve to be judged. I deserve to be punished. I deserve to be on the outs with God. But because God through his son Jesus Christ loves you and loves me, he chooses to show mercy. Oh, I don't know about you, but I, I want more mercy. Every day I want more mercy. I want to know there's mercy that I can obtain for my life and my circumstances. I want to know that I'm not going to stand in judgment, but I'm obtaining, I'm receiving. I'm being given mercy because the King of Kings has already paid the price. We obtain mercy. We're not judged for what we have done. The, co- the cost has already been paid at Calvary. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 16. This is the way the Apostle Paul said it. He said, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy. Oh, come on, somebody. Have you obtained mercy? Can you say my future has been altered because I found mercy in Jesus Christ and I'm not the man, I'm not the woman I used to be. I obtained mercy. Mercy. Verse 16, he says, For this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Do you understand what Paul said? He said, Look, if God can show me mercy, the guy that was killing his children, the guy that was persecuting Christians, the guy who made it his life's work and ambition to lock him up and put him away and to silence this Jesus stuff. If God could show me mercy, he did it as a pattern to everyone who comes after me. That no matter where you've been or how you live or what you've done, you too can obtain mercy. I told you last week, let me tell you again, it's not up to you who comes into the kingdom of God. It's not up to me who comes into the kingdom of God. It's up to the mercy of the Most High God. And I've got news for you. We're living in an age of mercy and grace. And today, God wants nothing more than for you to receive His mercy. His mercy that removes His judgment from you and makes you His son and daughter. Mercy. Mercy. But it says we obtain mercy... And then it makes a very interesting statement. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. We find grace. We find grace. It was in 2005. One of my best friends at the age of 33 died of a massive brain tumor. His name was Rob Burke. I brought him to Oklahoma City in 2001 to start an inner city church. He and his wife and two kids were there. They were doing a great work. I love to go down and join them. Love to see what was God was doing in that part of the city, the heart of the city that was rife with drug dealers and prostitutes and drunk, drunkards. It was just a horrible place where they were working. And God moved through Rob in a powerful way. Every Sunday, those folks came off the street. They met the Savior, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Their names were written in a Lamb's Book of Life and their future was altered. Rob had been there just a few years when he started having really severe headaches. He finally went to the doctor and they did a scan of his brain and discovered a massive tumor. Went in and did surgery and they thought they had it and everything was going to be all right. 
He was set to be dismissed from the hospital and literally he was in the wheelchair being wheeled out the door to his car when the pains came back. The headaches returned. They took him back in. They, they did another scan. They discovered the tumor that had been removed just a few days before had already regrown and much larger. So they went in and did surgery again. They took it out and after that surgery, my friend never regained consciousness. Matter of fact, in less than 24 hours, he passed from this life into eternity. His wife, 32 years old, his two little boys, seven and five years old. How do you find any sense in that situation? Oh, let me tell you, friend, in those kinds of situations, you have to find grace. You look for grace. You look for God's provision. You look for God's presence. In those situations, all you can do is find some grace. After the funeral, Deborah's wife decided, I'm not letting this work that we have invested in our lives in stop. I'm going to keep going. She took over that little inner city church. A little white girl from southern Oklahoma never lived in the inner city, but she said, this is God's calling and he's going to give me grace. She found grace. Oh, hear me, church. When life knocks you down, don't fall down, but find some grace and get back up because you serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Years ago, David Wilkerson preached a message about finding grace. The conclusion of that message, he told the story of being called to the hospital room where his granddaughter had just been diagnosed with cancer. And he said, you need to understand my daughter had already went through a bout of cancer. My wife had had three bouts with cancer. And through the ensuing testing, the doctors determined that there was a genetic defect in his wife that caused the disease to pass to every female in her lineage. And as they stood in that hospital room that day, his wife began weeping bitterly. And she said, I have cursed my family. I have cursed my family. My daughter's had cancer. Now my granddaughter has cancer. I've cursed my family. And he said, in that moment of time, I had to find some grace. So he stepped out of the room and walked down to the waiting room. There was a young African-American mother there with her eight-year-old son. This lady had just been told that her son wasn't going to live. He had at most a few weeks. She saw David Wilkerson, didn't know that he was a pastor of a large church in Times Square, didn't know that he was a published author, didn't know that he was considered a prophet for this day and this time. She just saw a man consumed by grief. And she said, Mister, what's the matter with you? And he said, well, I just came out of the room where my granddaughter was diagnosed with cancer, and I'm just hurting. I don't know what to do. He said, she stood up on her feet. She looked squarely at me again, not knowing who he was or what he represented. And she said, mister, let me tell you about my Jesus. My little boy only has a few weeks to live, but I know I'm going to see him again. I know I serve the resurrection and the life. I know my God is able and we will not be parted forever. But one day on the other side, I'm going to hold him in my arms and know him again. Oh, come on, somebody. It's time to find grace it's time to find grace and all you have to do is say take me to the king take me to the king tom come back take me to the king take me to the king 
stand across this room this morning. You're in this place today and you say, I need to obtain mercy. I need to receive mercy. I need to be forgiven. I want to know that judgment has passed from my life for the things that I have done. I need mercy from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords today. That's you right where you stand. Just lift up your hand and say, pray for me. Pray for me, Steve. I need mercy. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. Others, I need mercy. Come on, right now, you raise your hand. Come, step out. We're going to pray together. Come on, don't wait for anybody else. Across this room, come on. Come to the king this morning. You need mercy. Come. Don't wait for anybody else. You come. You raise your hand. That's it. Come on down. Yeah, you be the leader. You be the one with courage. Follow her. Follow her. Come on, let's receive mercy today. Others, across this room, you raise your hand. Step out and come. I need some mercy. I need some mercy. I need to obtain mercy. Come on, we're waiting on you. The King of Kings is here. He wants to give you mercy today. He's going to forgive you. He's going to cleanse you. He's going to wash your sin away. Oh, take me to the King. Take me to the King. Others, you raise your hand. Come on, it's not too late. We're not going to embarrass you. You're not going to be singled out other than we're going to pray with you. So come on, take that step of faith. I need to find mercy. As I wait another moment, anyone else? I need mercy. Yeah, come on. Anyone else? I need mercy. I need mercy. Yes, come on. Anybody else? I need mercy. I don't want to live under his judgment. I want to live under his grace. I don't want to be separated. I want to be a son or a daughter of God. Anyone else? I need mercy. Step out and come right now. So wait just another moment. I don't want to deny you the opportunity of finding mercy. Yes, come on, young man. Anybody else? I'll wait another moment. I want you to find mercy today. Anyone else? There's a wait a minute. Those of you standing, I want you to hear me this morning. There's no power in the prayer you're going to pray, but there's a lot of power in the Lord you're going to confess. And the Lord you're going to claim and confess today is able to cleanse you, to renew you, to restore you. When you leave this, come on, young lady, when you leave this place today, you'll be a son and a daughter of God because you have come to obtain mercy. So right now, would you bow your heads with me and pray these words together across the auditorium. Pray this prayer with me this morning. Dear Jesus, I need mercy. I can't help myself. My sins are too great. But I come to you and I ask for mercy. I ask for forgiveness. I ask that your blood would wash my sins away. Change me right now. Make me a new person right now. Create in me a clean heart right now. I receive you as my Savior. I acknowledge you as my Lord. I declare you to be my King. And I receive the mercy that you're offering me today. Come on right now, just lift your hands. If you're standing here in the front, just lift your hands. Say it again with me. I receive the mercy that you're offering me today. I receive the mercy that you're offering me today. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for removing my sins. Thank you for writing my name in your book of life. Thank you that I'm not an outcast. I'm not an orphan. 
I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your mercy. Nancy, would you lead them out to 103? Doug Apple will meet you in there. Follow Nancy right there. Come on, church. Welcome them to the family. Come on, right this way. You're going to get some more information. They're going to pray with you personally. Welcome them today. You're in this room today and you say, I'm going through some stuff I can't handle. I need to find grace. I need to find grace. All I'm saying to you today is come to the king. Come to the king. You're going to find that grace. That's you. As Tom begins to sing this great chorus, take me to the king. If you're going through something in your life that you need his help with, step out and come. And let's find grace in this place today. Come on, sing it out. Take me to the king. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida. A multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.